Well, I can tell you, I guess I'm on, and uh, I, I can tell you without any shadow of a doubt that the fact that I'm standing here before you this morning is in the power of Christ. Amen. Um, I have been treated by a couple of folks these last few months, maybe even more than months, um, for a chronic condition in my back where I have, uh, I went to one doctor and all he wanted to do is put me on pills and, and pills can be addictive and I come from a long, did I mention long, a long line of addictive personalities. Uh, my dad and his dad and their various others I uh, grew up around the coal mines of eastern Kentucky, and alcohol was prevalent and a major problem. And if it wasn't for a Christian mom and, and uh, uh, getting an opportunity to go to church, my brother and I probably would have followed that same path. Uh, and uh, so me and pills don't get along. <laughs> I just don't want to go down that path. So I go to a pain management specialist. They do uh, injections with steroidal treatments for my back. And then I see an orthopedic guy, and he does injections in my right hip. We've been getting along fine until this morning. <laughs> and my left hip said, oh, we want to have a party, and not a good party. And so I was hurting so much, I almost thought, if this ibuprofen doesn't work, we are going, we're not coming down today. So uh, that was an appropriate song. How many of you have ever watched the Oscars? You ever watch the Oscars? I don't watch them anymore, but I used to. And then there's um, various other award shows. And then if you're a sports guy like me and you know about the NFL Hall of Fame and I've been to Cooperstown to the Baseball Hall of Fame and I've been to Massachusetts to the Basketball Hall of Fame. I haven't been to uh, the Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Um, that may be on our list of things if I can ever get her retired. Uh, that we go to, you know, and so the Hall of Fame is, it's like the ultimate, right? Or the award show, you know, it's, that's, that's a big thing. And it always fascinates me that whenever they come out with a list of who's going to be elected into the Football Hall of Fame, there's always somebody they left out. Same with baseball, same with golf, same with all the sports. They they have their list, and then somebody says, but you left out so-and-so. Look at their record. Well, today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, which I call the Hebrew Hall of Faith. And if you want to raise a complaint about somebody being left out, I didn't write it. <laughs> There's somebody else that inspired that. Talk to him. It wasn't me. We have been on a journey these last few weeks. Haven't we? Hard to believe my time here is ending. We still have some loose ends. I'm still working on those. Um, but we will talk more after church. Uh, for our visitors, this is called a, a smart start interim. I'm here for eight weeks. And uh, we're working on getting a longer term interim. Uh, the pastor who was here uh, passed away last fall. And so there's some things for the church to work through. And we have the faithful few, and I understand that. But there is a sense that uh, they don't want the church to die. And they want to see it continue. And so we're, 
working on ways to make that happen. But uh, if I didn't live two and a half hours away, uh, I might consider doing a long-term interim here. But what would be involved in me doing a long-term interim would be way too many trips, and I just, I just can't do that. So we started off talking about uh, seeking God's direction as a church. And uh, uh, we, we talked from John 17, the Jesus' great prayer. He prayed for protection, unity, joy, purity, and purpose. Then we moved on to talk about finding God's purpose. And uh, we talked on week three, the mission of the church. And when Jesus looks at the church, what, what is our mission? What are we to be doing as a church? Even though we're small in number, what are we to do? We talked a little bit a few weeks ago about what is a healthy church from Acts chapter 2. Remember, we talked about, uh, in fact, I gave you some homework that Sunday. Uh, what, what do you think makes West Acres Baptist Church a healthy church? And what makes it a non-healthy church? And as soon as you say the word non-healthy or unhealthy church, we think, oh, there must be a lot of conflict. Or there must be. You don't have to have conflict to be unhealthy. You know, you just have to have back and hips that don't work right. <laughs> you know, that makes you a little bit unhealthy. So, uh, but a healthy church, we talked in that message about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, God exalting worship. That you know, Remember I told you that, that worship, you can have a lot of definitions, but I think one of the best ones I've ever heard, worship is when we realize we have an audience of one. I don't care whether it's contemporary music I don't whether a Stamps Baxter, you know, the old old type, you know, shake notes and all that kind of stuff. I don't care what it is. It's somewhere in between. It doesn't matter the style. It matters who we're worshiping. Amen. We come here to worship him. And worship in a healthy church is God exalting, realizing we have an audience of one. Then when we come to hear from him, he comes to that worship, fills that place, and speaks to us through the worship, through the song, through the spoken word, through his word, maybe just a word from somebody else. That's why the Bible says, neglect not the assembling of ourselves together. That is so important because you may have just that word that somebody else may need, may need to hear, or you may need to hear a word from somebody else that can be an encouragement. You all have been an encouragement to us. You know, um, whether it's long text that come to me, you know, that's okay. I don't mind that. Or whether it's just a word you say here on a Sunday morning. You know, uh, I, I just appreciate every one of you. We also talked, when we're talking about a healthy church, what are the spiritual disciplines? How do we connect with God and grow in faith? A healthy church is learning and growing. A healthy church builds loving and caring relationships. Those are just some of the factors we talked about in a healthy church. We talked about the church as the body of Christ. We talked about the importance of our toes. We don't think about our toes, do we? Try walking around without them. You know the one thing that our toes do? Help us maintain our balance. You know, we think about that little gland in our ear, ear in our ear that helps maintain balance, but you can't do it without your toes. 
And I, I, I remember a lady, I told you about a lady back in one of my churches back in New York who had her toes taken off and then up to the ankle and then you know, worked her way on up to the leg because of diabetes. But when she had her toes taken off, it was very, very difficult for her to balance herself. And so we, we, we thought maybe the toes just aren't that important. But every function, every part of the church is important. Whether it's the janitor, whether it is the uh, Denver back there in the sound booth, or whether it is the preacher, everyone has the same value. Or whether you're just sitting there in a pew. Because you can do this if you can't do anything else. We talked about what is our role in the church, that God calls, that people respond, and lives are changed. We talked about what are our ministry partners, whether it be Southern Baptist Convention, Arkansas Baptist Convention, how through your partnership and cooperative program giving to Arkansas Baptist Convention, you have a part in disaster relief. And we have major teams in eastern Kentucky and in St. Louis because of flooding. Uh, We have teams in other parts of the country. We even have teams around the world through Send Relief at the, with the North American Mission Board. So, you know, West Acres can't go. You, you don't have the resources to put together and buy the equipment and you know, buy the big trucks and all that. You can't, but you can be a part of sending someone else go. So we have our ministry partners. Today, we're talking about what is our faith factor. In Hebrews chapter 11, We're committing our future to God. We don't know what that future is yet. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe you know, and you know, if you do, tell us, because uh, I don't know. But I believe God has a future. And he is the one person who does know. So as we take our Bibles and we look at uh, Hebrews 11... I want us to think about what is our faith factor going forward. Because trust me, whatever path God takes West Acres Baptist Church on, we're not going to be successful without faith. That is just not going to happen. Have you ever tried to walk through a darkened room? That's fine if it's your own house, you know where everything is. Have you ever had trouble finding your way through around a room in a hotel in a strange town where you don't know where you're going? And you don't, didn't leave a light on to where the bathroom might be or something, you know? Uh, you run into furniture and next thing you know, you've kissed the pavement or you've kissed the floor and you didn't plan on it, you know? Uh, but faith is taking that step beyond what we can see, touch, and feel. And when we look at Hebrews 11, we're going to find a lot of people who took a lot of faith steps. So Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, but we're going to uh, also look at some other passages along the way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand the words were framed by the word of God, by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are invisible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God, testifying of his gifts through, through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, having been divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, which is according to faith. And then look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he received an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this particular chapter, which reminds us of the great stories throughout the Bible. Men of faith, women of faith, who followed you, and as is said about Abraham, who knew not where he was going, but trusted you that there is a place called Ur, and that you were guiding him there. And you guided him every step of the way, through very difficult times, through many challenges, but you brought him to that place. We thank you for your word. May it speak to us today, fresh and anew, in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. By faith. Two very, very powerful words. Faith is believing when I don't see. Can you believe that? We worship a God who is unseen. I mean, you know, even Moses, God had to hide him in the cleft of the rock rock as he passed by because we couldn't, with our human eyes, we can't look upon the, the, the Shekinah glory of God. We cannot do that. So being able to keep moving even when we can't see. This whole chapter 11, the predominant view of faith is that the world must trust God and our reliance on him, whether it's Abraham or Abel or Enoch, or it goes on and on and on. Sarah and others are mentioned throughout that chapter. If they were not willing to uh, offer themselves and follow God in the way God wanted them to, they would not have been successful in doing what God had for them. About A.D. 150, there arose a Fierce anti-Christian persecution erupted in Asia Minor. One of the most famous examples of these trials occurred in Smyrna in A.D. 156. The rabble of the city demanded Christian leaders swear obedience to Caesar, and they were called upon to say, Caesar is Lord. Well, there was this guy named Polycarp, and he didn't want to do that. Polycarp served as the bishop of Smyrna. And he was known for his persistent devotion to Jesus Christ. So they sent a police squad. Got a group of guys together that were part of the police force, and they went to get Polycarp. But they had compassion on him, these policemen did. And they said to Polycarp, 
What harm is there in saying that, Christ, that Caesar is Lord, swearing loyalty to Caesar and save yourself? But Polycarp continued to refuse the request, and they hauled him to the city arena, and there the proconsul of Asia renewed the plea, consider your age, swearing by the divinity of Caesar. Just say, away with the atheist. Well, Polycarp knew who the real atheists were. He waved his hand toward the pagan crowd and exclaimed, away with the atheist, not the Christians, but the non-believers. The proconsul still insisted, take the oath of loyalty to Caesar and I will let you go. Revile Christ. And Polycarp made a famous confession. He says, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my Savior and my King? Further argument with Polycarp proved useless. His martyrdom did two things. It produced a temporary revulsion against martyrdom among the pagan population. They saw how terrible it was. They witnessed him being burned alive at the stake because he would not renounce Jesus Christ. And they, 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 they had no stomach for it. They just couldn't do that and go home and have their, their uh, uh, hot dogs and hamburgers and all of that on the grill. They just couldn't go and do that. It also gave Christians a high level of credibility. If Polycarp would not turn his back on Jesus, there must be something to this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What a powerful testimony. You say, well, somebody was left off of the Hebrew Hall of Faith. Well, when that Hebrew Hall of Faith was written, Polycarp wasn't around yet. That happened many years afterwards. Eyesight produces conviction about objects that are in the physical world. Faith gives us that same conviction of things that are in the spiritual world. It is by faith that we're able to see what God would want us to see. Faith is a bang when I, don't, when I can't see it. Faith, in verse 8, is a bang when I don't understand it. Can you imagine Abraham? Life is going good for him. He's a wealthy guy. Things are going well. And Lord comes to him and says, Now I want you to pack up everything and I want you to hand, head off to a land called Ur. If I'm Abraham, I'm saying, Oh, wait a minute, God. Hold on. Just, just, just one little problem. What is Ur and where is it? I'm not going to tell you that yet. He didn't tell him that. He just called him to go. And if I'm Abraham, I'm not understanding this call. But I'm also realizing I followed, like Polycarp said, I've followed him all these years. He's not let me down. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Today, Jews, Muslims, and Christians revere the, the faithfulness of Abraham. But can you imagine how his friends and neighbors thought of him? He decided to leave Haran, go to a place called Ur, and he didn't even know where it was, couldn't find it on his GPS, just there's nowhere around, but yet he's got to go and find this place. It'd be like me trying to find Muskegee, Oklahoma. It's not going to happen unless I have a GPS. 
Now, my wife likes these things that fold up. They're made of paper. They've got lines all over it, numbers, you know. What, what do you used to call those? Uh, I think they're called maps. He didn't have that. Abraham didn't. So that'd be like me trying to find Muskegee or some other place around the country, you know, without knowing. I remember when I was at the Southern Baptist Convention in Orlando, Florida, back in the year 2000. And I got on one of the trolleys from where the parking was over to the convention center there in Orlando. And when I got on the the trolley, I sat down next to a young man, and we started talking. Cheryl says, I do that all the time, just start talking to people everywhere. But come to find out, he was getting ready to put together a group to go on a mission trip to a place I never really thought about called Yemen. You know where Yemen is? It's on the lower end of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, right next to Saudi Arabia. And what was interesting about it, as I listened to this young man, I got to thinking the church I had left had a young man from that church who had been in the church when I, I watched him grow up, and then he was a missionary with the International Mission Board serving as a nurse, a male nurse, in a place called Yemen. And the church I was currently at at the time, one of the ladies in my church, her brother-in-law was administrator at the same hospital in Yemen. I walk in, sat down on this trolley next to a young man who says, by the way, we're going to Yemen. At the same time, Cheryl, where she was working, had gotten health insurance. And so the church didn't have to buy my health insurance anymore. They said, you can take that money and use it for a mission trip. Do you think somebody was trying to tell me I needed to go to Yemen? All those things came together at once to make it possible for me to go on a 10-day vision tour of Yemen, which is just an amazing experience. Could not take Cheryl because it is a closed Muslim country. It is very dangerous for guys to be there, much less take your wife with you. They're just not going. Nobody took their wives. So I flew from Newark, New Jersey, to Frankfurt, Germany, to meet a group of guys I'd never met. They were all pastors. You can find pastors anywhere, even in Frankfurt, Germany. You've never met them, but I knew they were the guys when I walked up. And we had a great time. We had an amazing experience. But I didn't understand how God could put all that together to get me to a place called Yemen. Before I got on that trolley, I never really thought it'd ever be possible for me to go there. You know, I had sort of an inkling of it because I had these two guys from different churches who had a connection there. The next thing I know, I'm on a plane that lands in Cairo, Egypt. We didn't get to get off. I didn't get to find any pyramids. But from there, we flew on to, to Yemen. And what an experience. Faith is obeying even when I don't understand it. Faith is giving even when I don't have it. Look back at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than gain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, and God testifying of his gifts, through it being dead, still speaks. 
throughout the Old Testament, we really don't get an answer as to why Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable than Cain's. You know, there have been a lot of theories. Well, one was from the ground, and one was from an animal, and all of that. But I think what we, we get a hint of it, of the answer, here in Hebrews chapter 11, because his sacrifice testified of his faithfulness, whereas Cain just grabbed something and put it out there. That's exactly right. And so it was a matter of the attitude of the giver, not the size of the gift. One of the old mission stories uh, many missionaries have told over the years is that they were in a poor, I believe it was an African country, and the offering plate came around uh, to collect an offering for whatever they were raising money for in that particular mission. And this one young lady, she had no money at all to give, and so she put the plate on the floor and stood in the middle of the plate. She gave herself. She didn't know what God was going to ask her to do. She didn't know anything else. All she knew is, that's all I have. I'll give him that. Now, with my size 12 or 13s, I couldn't put my feet in that offering plate back there. But God called me a long time ago to give myself to him and to go into many years of Christian ministry. Faith is giving even when we don't have it. Faith is persisting even when I don't feel like it. Genesis 6 through 9 shows the faith of Noah when he received a specific warning from God. He took the warning to heart, built an ark, even though nobody had ever seen an ark. And word is, from many scholars, nobody had ever seen a boat, much less an ark, at that point. And so his neighbors are watching him, and they're probably laughing at him, probably joking about, what's this crazy guy doing building this massive ark? And if you don't really understand how big it is, go to northern Kentucky to the Ark Experience. That is, you guys have been there? It is beyond what I ever thought it would be. That is one man's interpretation. I understand that. It's not a perfect interpretation, but I'll take it because it tells you how big that thing had to be. And Noah built that. By the way, he didn't have power saws. He didn't have uh, drills or anything like that. But God helped him find all the gopher wood that he needed to make that happen. Noah's act of building the ark condemned the scoffing unbelief of his generation and provided a visible evidence that Noah believed in God. In building the ark, Noah became the heir of faith and righteousness, a theme echoing through Paul's discussion in Romans chapter 9, in Romans chapter 10, and echoes even here in verses 7, verse 7 there of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is persisting even when I don't feel like it. I'm sure there are days when he thought, I'm just too tired to crawl up there and put that board on that ark. I mean, this has got to be crazy. We've never, there are also many scholars who say they'd never seen rain at that point because you had the, the, uh, a banner of moisture over them, like a heavy dew every day, but not really rain. 
until that point. And then it rained for 40 days. Faith is thanking God even before I receive it. Look at verse 30 of that same chapter. So we're going to look at some other passages. Look at verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. You know the story. Joshua's leading them. They come to the city. God told them to take the city. But that is the most unusual battle plan I have ever seen. They get up in the morning. They walk around it. They don't, they're not told not to say a word. They walk around it once. They go back to the, uh, to the encampment. Get up the next morning. Six days they did that. And you don't read a whole lot about them. I wonder what this crazy Joshua was trying to get us to do. How in the world are we going to take this city just by marching around it one, one time each day? They get to the seventh day. They march around it seven times. And finally, they get to shout. And when they shout, what happens? The walls come tumbling down, as the song says. But you know, they would not have received the blessing if it wasn't for their faith. It wasn't for the fact they honored God. They even thanked God. They worshiped God in their walking. When they came back to the encampment, all of that. Trusting that when they shouted, the walls are going to come down and they could take the city. Faith is thanking God even before I receive it. Now, what is significant about that thought is when we thank God before we receive it, what does that say to us and to others? I believe God is going to give this to me. That'd be like me walking up to Cheryl right before Christmas and say, I thank you for that new Cadillac you're going to buy me. By the way, did I mention it might be a little, a little tiny scale model of a Cadillac? Yeah, well, <laughs> that might be about it. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? But yet they're thanking God that all we have to do is walk around this city and God's going to give it to us. Thanking him even before I receive it. Knowing that God has said he's going to do it. Faith is trusting God even if I don't get it. Have we been there before? Have we been there? I mean, think about it. This doesn't make sense, God. Look at verses 35 to 40. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, yea, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Think about David and Samuel and so many of the characters, especially the Old Testament, and how many of them went through the things that are mentioned in that passage. 
David could easily have said, now, wait a minute. This Goliath guy, I've heard about him. He's one big bad dude. And you want me to pick up a few rocks and take this slingshot. And with one shot, he's going to go down. David could have said, that don't make sense. Moses, God told him, I'm calling you to lead your people out of Israel. Moses said, wait a minute, God, there's one big problem with that. I don't talk very well. He says, that's okay, you got Aaron. Aaron can talk, you lead. Aaron will talk, you do the leading. Even when we don't get it, we obey God because we know that that is what he wants us to do. Faith is doing it when we don't get it. When we look at those verses, we get a remarkable sample of stamina and endurance in spiritual trials. Elisha raised a Shinnamite's son in 2 Kings chapter 4, an example of a woman who received her dead and was raised to life again. To endure torture required an inner source of strength and faith. In the intertestinal period, there are stories of, of persecution of the Jewish people at the end of Malachi and before we get into Matthew and, and the coming of the Savior, that intertestinal period. We don't have a biblical account, but we have historical records that tell about that, whether it be Maccabees or others. Uh, many have feel that the reference in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, refers back to what is recorded in the story in Maccabees. There is the story of the uh, death of a mother and her seven sons. All eight endured barbarous torture because they refu refused to disobey God's law. One moving incident is recorded in Maccabees. The pagan king asked the mother to encourage her last of the eight sons that she had to renounce his faith in God and, and, and do what the king wanted him to do. The mother said to her son, can you imagine a mother's faith doing this? Listen to what she said. Fear not this tormentor, but being worthy of thy brethren, take thy death that I may receive thee again in mercy with thy brethren. She had watched her seven sons die and now was about to watch her eighth son die. And she says, accept your death. I will see you on the other side. Can you understand that kind of faith? That, that's what she did. Joseph and Jeremiah were among those who endured jeers and beatings and imprisonment. And most scholars reference the reference to being sawed in two with Isaiah. The incident is not mentioned in the Bible, but again, there are scholarly writings that talk about that. And, and we could go on and on and on, breaking down every piece of what we see there in 35 to 40. But the point is, even when we don't get it, God wants us to be faithful. So I encourage West Acres Baptist Church, as I wrap up my time, the Sunday after um, Labor Day will be, I think, my last Sunday. We may negotiate one more Sunday because there's something else we might need to do. We'll talk about that during the meeting. But my time is ending.
Here's my challenge for West Acres Baptist Church. Faith is believing when I don't see it. Faith is obeying when I don't understand it. Faith is giving when I don't have it. Faith is persisting even when I don't feel like it. Faith is thanking God before I receive it. And faith is trusting even if I don't get it. It don't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. West Acres, do you have that kind of faith? Because if you don't, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. Before we think about what we might need, well, we need this to attract people, or we need that to attract people. No, we need God to bring us to the people to lead them to Christ. It's going to be up to us to have the faith to see it through. Others have given up. We need to, rather than going out and saying, you, no, we don't do that. That's not going to work. We can attract them a whole lot better with a lot more honey than those kind of words. But you know what will bring them back? Us praying and having faith and allowing God to lead us going forward. Let's stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do thank you. I praise you, Lord. I thank you that you wrote... Hebrews 11 for us. Great men and women of faith. Great stories. Just reading through it reminds us of the many stories throughout the Old Testament. And what a faithful example these men and women were. And Lord, as I think about West Acres Baptist Church and what you have for us going forward, we pray, Lord, we too will be counted as faithful. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Take a few minutes and then we'll...